Well, aloha from Maui, Hawaii, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. For Sunday, November 28th, 2010, my name is Michael Benner. Happy to be here. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Got to spend some time with friends and family and relax and enjoy yourself. Do whatever you do on Thanksgiving. Preparing for the upcoming holidays with Christmas and Hanukkah and and solstice and, and and Kwanzaa and New Year's and it's the the midwinter holidays. And although weatherwise for a lot of folks back east, especially uh, the worst of winter is yet to come, it is midwinter. It's uh, it's the uh, the time when the sun begins its trek north again, uh, warming us in this hemisphere. It just takes a little while to, for the heat to gather up. So, hence the evergreen tree at Christmas. Today we're going to talk about sleep and dreams, a program I like to do at least once a year or or every nine months or nine to 12 months. It's a fascinating phenomenon to me. I hope you find it as intriguing, especially as we talk about it. I mean, the very idea that we spend one-third of our lives in a comatose state, that... um, if we allow ourselves a proper amount of sleep, which for most people is more than they get. Most of you are suffering from not getting nearly as much sleep as you should. Um, Before Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, the average American slept almost 10 hours, 9 hours and 40-some minutes on average. That's a long damn time. Well, if you have no light bulbs, you know, you have a fire in the fireplace and you light some candles or lanterns in the evening. If you've ever gone camping, you know the challenge pretty soon. It's like you uh, yield yourself to the darkness. You you concede it's time to go to bed. And why wake up much before the sun? So those have been the human sleeping patterns. And for most uh, mammals, the same thing. Some, Some animals turn it around. They're nocturnal in nature. Some people do very well on the graveyard shift. They sleep well in the day and love being on at night. Other people do not do well. They they never really adjust. It's a matter of the rhythms that uh, energetic uh, rhythms that we all experience in our body. They're very subtle rhythms, however. So biorhythms, so-called. So probably not consciously aware of these rhythms, but they do affect us just as uh, the moon affects the tides. And um, uh, a woman's menses is a perfect 28 days, exactly a lunar cycle. Uh, It's been inherited uh, from our ancestors and handed down over two and a half or three million years of of evolution as, uh, as human beings. So it's sort of a trip, really, to think about the fact that ideally eight hours of sleep seems to be, on average, right for most people. Again, we used to get almost ten. Now the average is five and a half to six, and that's not good. Even if you're sleeping six and a half or seven, it's going to add to your stresses and to your anxieties. It's going to wear on your... um, body physically and your immune system 
It's going to um, cause confusion and difficulty thinking clearly, which means uh, poor memory, creativity, um, poor intuition, uh, missed opportunities and oversights. And emotionally also it degrades you too. It stresses you and tends to promote uh, hurt and, and upset emotionally as well, making it difficult for you to, to stay balanced and anxiety-free. We really, really need more sleep than we're getting. We need to allow ourselves to have nice, deep rest. And sleep comes in a series of stages. There's lighter levels of sleep and and medium levels of sleep and still heavier levels of sleep. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about brain waves. We'll talk about REM activity and dreams. Again, the title is Sleep and Dreams. Um, it's hard for me to talk about sleep without talking about dreams. It's such an important uh, part of the whole sleep cycle. And the reason why we sleep has more to do with dreams than rest, according to the latest research, most of the research it's accumulating says we can, you know, go uh, as far as the rest component of sleep. We can we can go without sleep for quite a while if we just get a little bit of sleep here and a little bit of sleep there. But if we're not getting dream time in those little snatches of sleep, then uh, you can you can you can become quite distressed. Uh, borderline psychotic in just two days when robbed of dream time. And this has been demonstrated in sleep and dream labs all over the United States for decades now, right? Let them get a little bit of sleep and dreams. People can do without uh, their needed sleep for days and days. In the short term, they were pretty good at rallying. But if we're, you know, robbed, if they monitor your dream cycles, and your REM activity, and you're robbed of dream time, you begin to hallucinate in the daytime. The the uh, need to express these dreams uh, usually is some sort of imagery, although people report sometimes their dreams are black and white, which is odd to think of, uh, sometimes more colorful, I think it's more a matter of what is recalled than what is actually dreamt. There's also the phenomenon of lucid dreams, and we'll see if we can touch on lucid or clear dreaming, that is being aware of a dream while you're dreaming it, um, and maybe a little about so-called astral projection and soul travel um, as part of lucid dreaming. It's pretty fascinating stuff. So I think the... Um, the place to begin is to consider that we really need eight hours of sleep and that this should be honored. This should be recognized as an important part of your life. Uh, I know the feeling that you'd rather stay up and get something done. I know the pressure to accomplish and to conclude. Uh, it's very tempting. It's very exciting. Um, it's also very stressful. But stress is exciting, and excitement can be stressful. It, it all has to do with whether we hold on to our excitement, then it becomes more stressful as it builds, or if we let go of it. Right? If you're letting go of excitement, 
then it's more likely to be eustress or positive stress and not have the negative effects of so-called distress. You see, the, it's a very important distinction to realize that the difference between excitement and fear, between oh boy and oh no, think about it, between oh boy and oh no, between the wind at your back and the wind in your face, is whether you hold on or let go. Letting go is such an important strategy in so many areas. Right? Letting go of our obsessive thinking, letting go of our obsessive emotional natures, letting go of the past, letting go of fears of the future. Letting go comes up again physically letting go, emotionally letting go, mentally letting go. It comes up spiritually <laughs> It comes up again and again and again. And here's a good beginning. Here's a here's a, a primary point to learn that lesson, that I can turn fear into excitement. I can turn oh no into oh boy. I can turn something negative into something positive and beneficial by learning to release it, by letting go of it. But if I hold on to it, if I gather it around me as if, my anxiety somehow protects me, as if my fears and worries somehow are a strategy to make me safer in the world, then we create that, right? Law of attraction, that's what you magnetize them. The very problems you anticipated, you begin to contribute to without even understanding it. Just by holding on to what you thought was excitement and fun, right? So always be breathing, always be in the moment, always be letting go of your challenges, of your stresses, of the new things that are happening in your life. And you'll find that uh, the wind will be at your back and you'll feel supported and carried forward by life more often than not. You won't feel so much like you're having to push the river or force life to conform to your desires and your needs. Life is so magical as it is. Why not just wonder about how magical it is instead of forcing it in the molds and needing it to be a certain way? There's time for that, obviously. We, the, we, that's our schooling and our careers, our jobs are so often about having to meet the expectations of other people, but to be aware of that anyway. To recognize that is to give yourself some choices, that, <laughs> at least in your free time, right? To live the kind of life that you really want to live. So let's honor our uh, sleep and dream time. These are wonderful. John Lennon called sleep the great narcotic, right? Like better than uh, uh, the heroin or the strongest drug is sleep. It's really sweet. And the very idea that dreams, when we talk about the word dreams, that carries a positive connotation. A dream that's not positive has a special name. It's a nightmare. <laughs> a nightmare. It's an odd image, right, of a horse, a black horse, a mare running through the, through the nighttime. A nightmare. I'm not sure what that's about, but... 
generally, we think of a dream, you assume it's a positive thing. You have a smile on your face. People say, what are your dreams? And we might say, well, you mean the, the dreams I have at night or my, my daydreams, right? Presuming that they mean this positive, uh, positive thing. Uh, I remember as a little boy, stories, bedtime stories, the whole idea of telling these uh, archetypal tales to a child before they go to sleep um, to connect and, and to install these, these models and these paradigms. Uh, often great ethical lessons, Grimm's fairy tales, Aesop's fables, Mother Goose, um, a study as an adult of these stories and these fairy tales can be quite fascinating. I was watching The Wizard of Oz for a little while yesterday. They always seem to play that around Thanksgiving time. And uh, I, I, geez, I, I probably sat and watched 15 or 20 minutes of it and hadn't in years and really enjoyed the whole idea that these three characters, the straw man and the tin man and, and the lion were, uh, obviously as an adult, you look at it, you remember a little bit of, of what you learned in creative writing and literature class about symbolism and allegory, and you go, oh my goodness, this is the, uh, the mental, emotional, and physical nature of Dorothy. These are her fears. The straw man is her mental fear, her confusion, doesn't know where she is or how to get back to Kansas. Uh, the Tin Man, of course, not having a heart is Dorothy's emotional fear. Um, her, her sadness that, you know, she doesn't know where the family farm is, can't get back to the people she loves. And, of course, the cowardly uh, uh, lion is the fear we all have of taking action, stepping forward and doing something. Now, children don't know that on a conscious level, but you better believe they're getting it on an unconscious level. And any of us who aspire to write should always write at least on three levels. The basic story, a nice uh, allegory or subtext, and then these deep archetypes, these profound uh, uh, models of reality or paradigms that introduce children to their relationship with other people in the world, with, with values and ethics and, you know, certain principles of, of right action or right thought or leading a good life and a rewarding life. I remember stories of the Sandman. The Sandman would come and put a little sand in the corner of your eye and that would take you away to a wonderful place. I loved going to sleep as a kid. Oh, part of me wanted to stay up and find out what the adults were doing in the other room, especially on Friday night. You know, I was always afraid I was going to miss something, but sleep is a wonderful thing and be really a wonderful thing. And it's never too late to regain that. You just have to honor it. There's all kinds of things you can do to prepare for this one-third of your life each day. Uh, one thing to help slow you down, although you may find this difficult, challenging, impractical, 
see what you can do about not turning on lights as it gets dark, about allowing your living situation to your house, your home, your apartment, your condo, your flat, wherever you happen to be, allow it to just gradually get dark. And um, if you need some lighting, well, use some soft lighting or maybe even candles. Uh, and try to honor the fact that um, there are these biorhythms that your body goes through and has learned over this three million years of evolution, and the body is expecting, up until a hundred years ago, nighttime to be nighttime. A little over a hundred years ago, it is an invented the light bulb, and everything changed. Right? Uh, if you've ever gone to Vegas, you know. You can, you can walk out of those casinos and somebody tells you it's 3 o'clock. You don't know if it's 3 in the afternoon or 3 in the evening until you get outside. It was a dark or sunny. I don't know. They don't have clocks <laughs> in there uh, for a reason or windows. And uh, sometimes even getting out of the casino is a challenge to find your way out. It's a pretty fascinating place in terms of the way they manipulate time, sleep patterns, and such. So allow yourself to slow down a little bit, uh, turn the volume down, uh, sit down, take a break, relax, uh, try to prepare your meals in such a way that uh, there's time for you to sit and relax while the meal is being prepared. One of the things that I've discovered in the last few years about eating right is that it takes time to prepare food. It's, it's work. And if you want the convenience of food that's easily prepared, uh, usually the food quality is going to suffer. You'll have high sodium, uh, frozen dinners. You can't freeze your own stuff, of course. That's always a handy thing to do in, in smaller servings. Um, we like to do that with soups and uh, vegetable stews and such. But... Um, Use the whole procedure to slow down, to take some time to to sit and chat with somebody. And um, then you have to also allow on the back side time to clean up, to do the dishes, to, to straighten the place. Uh, again, this is something that is is a, a big part of the temptation to go to fast food and to go to restaurants is you don't have any dishes to do. People don't talk about this very much, but it's a big reason that that, that people eat out. And um, again, that food's going to be high in sodiums and high in fat and uh, other animal products and just not that good for you. No reason you can't do it once in a while. But... Um, one of the reasons is that it saves time. You know, fast food or even a regular coffee shop type restaurant or a very nice restaurant where you can spend a couple of hours. You don't have to do the dishes, right? You don't have to prepare the meals and plan the meals. and That's the temptation. So, um, especially the evening meal. Make it part of this whole slowing down thing to whatever extent that you can. And... Uh, point toward sleep this one-third of your life. I think the next point I want to make is the importance of having 
a positive attitude when you go into the bedroom, um, to put a smile on your face, to leave your worries at the door. Um, the place where you sleep is not a place to solve problems, um, to worry about problems anyway. To solve them, I suppose, would be a good place. Depends on what I mean by that. It's not a good place to worry about your problems. Uh, it's not a place to uh, be writing your checks or paying bills. Um, it should be another part of your house where you do that. And the bedroom should be free. And it should have... Um, uh, how can I say it? A kind of a relationship with that room where your bed is, where you sleep. Even if you don't have a bedroom, it might even be the corner of your studio apartment. That space, that area, you need to make sort of uh, sacrosanct to imbue it with peace and love and harmony. And When you move in that direction of that bed, all your worries should be left behind. Put a little smile on your face and you're off to dreamland, right? With solutions in mind, not your problems, right? Even if you don't know how to get from where you are to this, there's two kinds of problems. One, of course, is you don't even know the solution. The other is I know the solution, but I don't know how to get there. Uh, well, it doesn't matter when you go to bed. Just give it up and and think. If you can't think of a positive resolution, then be grateful for what you do have. Put your attitude on gratitude. We just came through Thanksgiving holiday. That should be easy for us to do now. And go to sleep with that smile on your face. Another thing that I think is important to do is anticipate the next day in a positive way. As you go to sleep with that little smile on your face, ready to go off to dreamland, think about what's going to be wonderful, fun, far out, uh, about the next day, right? And uh, you sort of psych up for it. You look forward to it. I mean, even if the next day is a work day and you have to go to your job, which you may not like, working with some people that you may not like, you can put a positive spin on it, you know? You can say, well, I got that meeting at 3 o'clock. Well, I'm not looking forward to that. But who knows? Maybe it'll go really well. And you run a little movie you fast forward like TiVo through a little video in your brain of this meeting going much better than you expected what the heck put it out there right um, or well uh, I get to have lunch with so-and-so tomorrow and then after um, after work we're gonna do this that'll be fun or even uh, you know I'm gonna wear this new shirt that I bought or this new outfit tomorrow that'll be fun I'm looking forward to that or you know it's casual Friday and uh, I can wear my jeans tomorrow, whatever it happens to be. Try to put a nice positive frame on the next day, psych up for it, anticipate it in a positive way so that, again, your anxieties, as you let go of them, are more likely to be experienced as excitement and enthusiasm. All right, It's like you're programming a machine here. You're programming your mind. Now, there's also such a thing as setting a mental alarm, which I think is a wonderful skill for you to have. Uh, it's easily, uh, easily taught. I'll, I'll tell you how to do it. You can practice it, and um, I'd love some feedback. I'd love to know how this works for you. Uh, I've been teaching it for 35 years to 
students and clients, and uh, I get a very high level of, I couldn't even guess, what would it be, 80 85% in terms of the feedback I get that it works for people, and usually rather quickly within uh, two or three nights, sometimes the very first night. Setting a mental alarm clock is as easy as getting in bed and knowing what time it is. I mean, first you have to look at a watch or uh, a clock radio over on the table. You're in, you didn't set it. You're just looking at it to see what time it is or a clock you have hanging on your wall and see what time it is. Then you close your eyes and in your mind's eye, in your imagination, visualize an old-fashioned analog alarm clock. By analog, I mean circular face with hands that go around, not digital. And see it set for the time that it actually is, whatever time it is right now as you go to bed. It will be a different time each night, pretty much. And then tell yourself what time it is that you plan to get up. So maybe you're going to sleep till 7.15. You want to wake up at 7.15. Well, instead of setting the clock on the uh, clock radio or alarm clock that you've got sitting on the table, use the mental alarm clock, and I'll tell you why in a minute, by just visualizing yourself reaching out with your finger and turning the hands on this imaginary clock in your mind's eye. Now, physically, you don't need to move at all. You're just imagining yourself reaching out, touching the hour hand, and turning it from whatever time it is right now, around and around, say it's midnight, and then it's 1 o'clock, going around 2, 3, 3.30, right? Do this in real time, 5, 6, okay, here we come, 6.30, 7.00. 15, and then imagine reaching around and pulling the pin on the back of that old-fashioned wind-up alarm clock that's in your imagination. And say to yourself, and I'll wake up at 7.15. Right? So here's what, here's what I like to do. I like to run this whole thing, first of all, just a positive attitude, put a little smile on my face, get comfortable, nestle in, tell myself what time it is I want to get up, set that mental alarm, pull the imaginary pin, tell myself that that's when I'll wake up. And then I add the psych-up part, feeling fine, feeling great, feeling well-rested as a result of healthy, natural, <laughs> you know, you build the script, uh, wonderful, refreshing sleep. Okay. Um, wide awake and alert and looking forward to the day. And then I just, with this letting go feeling done, right? Just, that's how you go to sleep. You just let go, right? And, and off you drift. Next thing you know, you wake up in the morning, not with a start, not because the alarm is screaming at you or the clock radio just came on. You just wake up naturally. Like you would on a Saturday or a Sunday when you allowed yourself to sleep as long as you wanted. And you look at the clock and sure enough, it's 
or whatever time you told yourself to wake up. Right? The only secret is your mind's got to be still and quiet. And, and, and so some people say, well, do you have to meditate before you do this? Well, not usually, because if you're tired, you're already in a, you know, pretty much of a meditative level anyway. So just the sleepiness itself usually quiets the mind to the point that you're pretty and then using that idea of turning the hands and the face of the clock that really makes it clear to the subconscious which is awake all night long breathing you and digesting food and and dreaming dreams right that subconscious is always running 24 7 right so it's watching the internal clock it knows when 7:15 is and the thing is that when you wake up this way naturally at whatever time after however long sleep period might have been four hours you slept might have been eight hours you slept doesn't matter you wake up naturally and normally without a start without any external stimulus doesn't it make sense that you're more likely to remember your dreams or at least the last dream you had or the dream you were in the midst of as you woke up in the morning. Now you have a technique for remembering your dreams. People who wake up with alarm clocks, not much chance you're going to remember or journal or ever really understand your dreams. And again, your dreams are full of these archetypes. They, they, that's the high road to the subconscious mind is to um, at least begin to remember your spontaneous dreams you can also suggest that you dream about certain things. You just add that to this little go-to-sleep script. And when I wake up in the morning, I'll remember uh, and understand a dream that will help me solve this problem I've been working on. And then you let it go. You don't fall asleep thinking about the problem. You, you let it go like you plant a seed and walk away. You let it go. You turn it over to the higher self. And often as not, you'll have this dream you remember in the morning that will either solve the problem, make it perfectly clear that you never really had a problem in the first place, or let you know what you need to do to initiate to create the resolution you want. Some insight, some understanding, some missing piece uh, arrives intuitively. You can incubate dreams or program dreams. I just think it's a good idea to start by suggesting that you remember one of your spontaneous dreams. Because everybody does dream. People who say they don't dream or they rarely dream are people that are not remembering their dreams because they don't care about their dreams. Perhaps they're sleeping fitfully and perhaps... Um, they're just waking themselves up with alarm clocks, shocking themselves, stunning. It's called an alarm clock, right? It's like a scare the bejesus out of your clock. It's a hell of a way to start your day. You wonder why you're stressed. Stop using an alarm clock. Go to bed early. Get up early. And... Uh, it's your lifestyle. You get to design it. I'm just saying, consider you have options here. You you do have choices. 
I must admit there is a part of me that is resistant to going to bed on many nights. Uh, I just, I, 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 I don't know. I just like being awake. <laughs> There's so many things to do and to think about. And so I like being awake. So often as not, I'll fall asleep in front of my computer. I'll fall asleep with my guitar in my lap. Uh, lots of different ways. I just pass out because I should have gone to bed. I know the temptation. I know the temptation. So there's re- suggesting that you remember one of your regular dreams, right? Your spontaneous dreams. Every 90 minutes or so, you have a dream that lasts four or five minutes. Throughout the night, that period between the dreams, that 90 minutes gets just a little bit shorter. And the dream period just a little bit longer, but only by a few minutes. It's hardly worth mentioning. Basically, every 90 minutes, you have a dream for five or six minutes. Um, Could be dream fragments. um, Could be dreams that leap from topic to topic. Uh, you know how unbounded, how unfettered dreams really can be. But there's a difference between dreaming the dream and recalling the dream. Most of our dreams are recalled. They're still in short-term memory when we awaken. Most likely, the last dream we were having when we woke up. If the waking up process was rather gentle and tender and delicate. You're more likely to remember it. Okay. Uh, sometimes you remember bits and pieces of a fragmented dream that seems to occur and then reoccur, like a uh, episodic journey. We can have those kinds of dreams. Um, there's many kinds of dreams, too. We haven't really uh, talked about prophetic dreams versus wish fulfillment dreams. Um, Let me continue with this idea that spontaneous dreams, we can suggest that we're more likely to remember them. And I'll remember and understand a dream when I wake up in the morning. Okay, A sentence like that and you go to sleep script, which, come on, you can do in a matter of seconds, moments. This is no big effort. Okay. The other thing you can do, as I suggested, is incubate or program a dream to be about what you want it to be about. And you just change the language from something like, I'll remember and understand one of my dreams when I wake up in the morning. You shouldn't say when I wake up in the morning, otherwise you're waking up after every dream, right? Subconscious takes you literally. Change that to... I'll remember and understand a dream when I wake up in the morning that'll contain information to help me solve this problem I have in mind. That is sometimes produces amazing results, remarkable results. Uh, and then there's this idea of lucid dreaming, of suggesting that when I begin to dream, uh, I will become aware of the dream while I dream. Uh, uh, a, a book that came out about, I think, 12 or 15 years ago by Stephen Labarge. I think that's how he pronounces it. It's like L-A capital B-A-R-G-E, something like that, or Labarge, 
Stephen LeBurge. It's, it's just simply called Lucid Dreaming. It's available in paperback. I bet it's still in print. And he offers the technique of asking yourself repeatedly throughout the day, for several days, if that's what it takes, is this a dream? Or am I awake? Is this a dream? Am I awake or is this a dream? Is this a dream? Is this a dream? And you say that enough times to yourself in the waking state. The presumption is the subconscious will say it to you when you're asleep. And every once in a while, the conscious mind will answer and say, yes, this is a dream. Right? And then you have this very unusual experience of being consciously awake and aware and alert, witnessing a dream while it's happening, and yet you know you're still asleep. It's, <laughs> it's like talk about being in two places at once. It's a very strange experience. But it, it gives you volition in your dreams, don't you see? It allows you to go where you want to go in your dreams. You can say, well, I'm going to walk through that door over there and see what that door represents. Or all the windows are closed. I think I'll open this new window of opportunity and let the air in here. And you walk over and open the window. You learn to pay attention in the dream. Again, this may be fleeting, but just a couple of brief experiences of it is quite remarkable. And this then leads to what is called in the psychic literature of the 19th and 20th century, astral projection. Uh, sometimes it's called soul travel. These are the Ekinkar people, for example. Um, they talk a lot about soul travel or uh, astral projection, as they said, was big in the 19th century and went along with an idea that there was a silver cord that connected you to your astral body and you had to be very careful not to break the silver cord or you would die and all of this nonsense. But call it what you will, there are these phenomena. People uh, can develop. Uh, with a little bit of work, this phenomenon. And if you want to pursue it, it's up to you. Usually, those of us that have these experiences are amazed and mystified, but don't continue to work at it. Um, it, it there's usually not a whole lot of practical reasons for it. But um, lucid dreaming, then, if you've ever wondered about so-called astral projection or soul travel or out-of-body experience, OBEs, and people report being spontaneously outside their body and able to look down and see their body on the operating table or in the emergency room or passed out on the school playground or whatever from an elevated perspective as if they were hovering above their body. And, you know, every culture in the world has countless reports of this phenomena throughout the ages, this out-of-body experience. All right. So well, there's your whole path from suggesting that you remember one of your spontaneous dreams to incubating a dream to help you solve a problem 
to suggesting as you go to sleep that you can have a lucid dream and be aware and awake and alert of the dream while you're dreaming it, yet still asleep and dreaming, to working with that skill for the purposes of so-called astral projection or soul travel, out-of-body experience, and I guess clairvoyance and remote viewing uh, also falls into this, uh, this category, this area. The psychic stuff was much more popular 100 years ago than it is now, even though we've got a lot more research that psychic phenomena is real. Um, there seems to be less interest for whatever reason. Uh, now, a couple other points, and then we'll go to our questions. I'm anxious to see what you guys, um, what your experience is, what you have to say about sleep and dreams, what intrigues and fascinates you about uh, sleep and dreams. But I want to underscore this idea that dreaming is probably the most important reason to sleep. I touched on this early and uh, want to underscore it, that if we're allowed just a little bit of sleep so that we can get some dream time, some REM activity, rapid eye movement, right? Um, we'll be okay over the short term. We can get by on very little sleep, ask any college student, uh, medical doctor in residency. Um, but you've got to have these little snatches of sleep where you do get some dream time. Because in the sleep and dream labs, when people have been uh, denied opportunity to dream, every time they begin to dream, the lab assistant wakes them up. Then they're allowed to go back to sleep, and they can sleep and sleep and sleep and sleep as long as they don't dream. <laughs> but as soon as they dream, they get awakened. Well, these people, again, within two days, within a 48-hour period, uh, begin to hallucinate and um, feel very schizophrenic, uh, have psychic, uh, psychotic breaks uh, where they're not sure what is reality and what isn't reality indeed. I guess all of this uh, class, this program, comes to a peak in the very idea that reality is a dream. That what we call physical dense reality is according to the mystics, the, the sages, and the wise women and men of all time, uh, basically a dream. And that death is waking up from this dream that you existed in form. Now, this is difficult for most people because physical reality has a touch to it. We can lean on it. <laughs> it seems solid to us. But if we just go back to our middle school science books in the 7th and the 8th grade, when we learned that the Greeks were really right in their supposition about tiny little particles called atoms, and that what appears solid never is. Even the most solid of objects, lead or titanium or some very heavy, dense metal, is still 99.999% open space. And, you know, a fraction of 1% particle or matter. What gives it its solidity is not the particles or the atoms, but the energy, the electromagnetic field 
in which these electrons are bound into their molecular forms and the way the molecules form chains and so on. But it's, it's mostly space. So you sit down on a bench and you say, well, here's a good solid bench. This will hold me, right? This won't drop me. Um, well, it may, it may or it may not. But this bias about physical dense reality being the true reality and the dream being made up or fanciful uh, has to be re-examined very carefully by anybody who wants a more full appreciation of, of life. And um, the idea of being able to have a dream within a dream, to dream about dreaming, right? Or to be asleep and dreaming and aware that you're dreaming, but knowing you're still asleep, right? And having volition in the dream, but you know you're... All of this begs the question of who is this self? Right, the key, core, central, existential question: Who am I? What am I? Where, where am I? How am I? What is this I? What is this self? Right. I think, therefore, I am. Sorry, that's not enough. If you are your thoughts, sorry, Rousseau. If you are your thoughts, then why do you argue with yourself? You have a thought that brings up a feeling. You have another thought in response that argues with the first thought. How could you be your thoughts if you're constantly arguing with yourself about what you think? See, uh, If you are your thoughts and you have the experience of, whoa, wait a minute, on second thought, hold on a second. Well, where did that come from? Who gave you that? Or uh, as Dave Davies from the Kinks wrote in uh, one of his really clever songs, if you're fooling yourself, who's fooling who? If you're fooling yourself, who's fooling who? Wh which of those voices are you? You see? And, of course, that's what intrigues so many of us in this personal and spiritual development field uh, is trying to get a ever better sense of who we are and, and what we're for. So to understand our role in perception being reality and consciousness being reality rather than this appearance in form, in a separated body, in a world of separated forms where nothing is connected and, uh, or doesn't appear to be connected. It truly is all connected, of course, but that's the point. How do I see the connections? How do I find the harmony in a world that appears to be so separated. And that's just, this, of course, is where all the fear comes from, and this is the source of everything we call evil. All evil is born of fear and ignorance. You can't separate fear, ignorance, and evil. They're all the same thing. And all of it is born of being confused about living in a separated body 
in a world of separated forms. That is the source of every problem we have, every fear, all of our confusion, and everything that's evil, everything that, that tempts us to behave in our self-interest and confirms the existence of a separated self that isn't real is always going to lead you astray. You'll always suffer when you defend that separated self. Okay. So working with sleep and dreams, working in these inner planes and these inner dimensions is a great way to expand your awareness and get a better sense of, well, what is a dream? What, what, you know, why is my waking state any less of a dream than the thoughts and feelings I recall from having been asleep? Right? How objective is your reality? How colored or shifted or skewed is it by your experience and your belief systems, by your desires and attitudes and expectations? Well, certainly we're all looking at life through a funhouse mirror, you know, through colored glasses. Are they rose-colored or are they dark-colored? Right? Perception is reality. There, Steve, my business partner at Focus Passion, Steve and I have talked a lot about this, and we think there may be some objective nature out there, some objective reality, but none of us are ever going to see it because our experiences are so subjective and, and, and so colored by our experience of life. So... Um, anyway, that's my little riff on uh, sleep and dreams. If you want to know a little more about brain waves, I wanted to talk about brain waves. Uh, there's a, a page you can go to on my website, theagelesswisdom.com. Click on home page to go inside. And if you look in the left column, the first column on the left, you'll see all the na navigation links. Go down to the one that says fun. F-U-N, fun. And uh, that page has a whole bunch of cool stuff on it if you scroll down it. An old-fashioned web page, you just keep scrolling and discovering new things. And one of the top articles is about brain entrainment. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and I pointed you to this same page. Well, there's a brainwave chart there, and um, a short little description of brain waves and it'll help you understand not only how these light and sound machines these brain entrainment machines work but you'll understand a lot about where you go when you sleep and when you dream and um, the different stages of sleep and uh, so you can check that out again the ageless wisdom dot com the T-H-E is part of it after the W's, theagelesswisdom.com. Click on homepage to go inside, and then click on fun, and you'll see that article. Pretty interesting article there, too, on the difference between the caduceus and Asclepius's wand. You know, you see the caduceus often as a medical symbol. When it really, the, the spine with the two snakes wound around it and the wings at the top, remember Mercury carried that in the Roman pantheon or um, in the uh, Greek 
uh, Pantheon, it's uh, Toph or uh, Hermes. It carries the caduceus with the two snakes. That's the Ida and Pingala. That's an occult symbol for spiritual magic. And any time I see it on an ambulance or a building, I have to laugh because they they, uh, they they've got the wrong symbol if if they want to talk about physical medicine. The symbol of physical medicine, pills and potions and powders and poultices and and surgery <laughs> drugs is the single snake on the wooden stake, which is called Asclepius' wand. And uh, there's a little essay in there uh, about that. There's an essay on the powers of ten that's sort of cool. Um, uh, a far-out picture of a jet breaking the sound barrier, and you can see what it looks like when an uh, object breaks the sound barrier. There's a definite appearance that goes with it sometimes. It's fascinating. It's my fun page, and, and I think it is. I hope you enjoy it. While you're at it, be sure if you're not getting the newsletter, click on the newsletter button up front. All I need is a first name and an email address, and we'll make sure you get the links to this class, um, the class being every Sunday. Uh, you'll get those in the newsletter, usually on Thursdays or Fridays, more often Fridays. So be sure you sign up for the newsletter, too. All right. Well, let me get sort of scooched down in my chair here while I was talking. So let me get seated properly, sit up straight again. And I want to remind you, if you're on the telephone and have a question, uh, just press star 2 on the touchpad, and that will raise a flag. And... uh, We'll go to those in a second. Good. I see Robert has his hand up. Robert, hang in there. I'll come back to you. Anybody else that wants to talk about sleep and dreams, we'll come back to the phones in just a second here. Uh, Let me go to... Oh, my. I'm uh, spacing out here. There's my question and answer page. See all questions. Hit refresh. And say hello to all of you. First of all, in Riverside, California, Richard uh, says, no question, just hello. Well, hello, Richard, in Riverside. Nice to hear from you. Uh, Baroness by the Sea, Yvonne, aloha, Michael. She says, insightful program. Thanks, and see you Thursday night at the video conference. Yeah, we'll be back this Thursday. We uh, canceled that last Thursday due to the uh, uh, Thanksgiving holiday, of course. Um, oh, and then Richard comes back and says, As I listened to you reiterate the concept of mindfulness at the outset of this session, a question regarding dreams comes to mind. It seems to me that the more I practice mindfulness and living in the moment, I find that it uh, seems like I work through many issues in my dreams. Is this a reasonable assumption? Seems as if my subconscious is dealing with ideas better than my conscious can. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Uh, when we say you only use 10% of your mind, we're being generous. The conscious mind at best is 10%. Uh, the more we study the relationship of the conscious self to the subconscious, um, 
the less conscious we realize we <laughs> we are and uh, how magnificent. It could be the conscious mind is 1% or less. The point is, the more stressed we are, I think this is the point, the more uh, drawn out into the world of form, um, the more we rely on make, making conscious choices and, and uh, conscious decisions, uh, the, the the more difficult, uh, the more difficulty we're going to have in our lives. The more we use the conscious mind, on the other hand, to watch the subconscious, uh, to witness life unfolding. You know, the Buddha says it very simply, in the spring the grass grows. You know, you don't have to encourage it or instruct it or pull it. Um, gardening teacher of mine used to say you don't have to pull up your carrots to see how they're doing and that to me made perfect sense I was always tempted to do it anyway but once you pull up a carrot you break the taproot you can't put it back uh, point is the carrot knows more about how to be a carrot than we do and the subconscious mind knows more about what it means to be a human being from a spiritual point of view than the conscious mind ever could. So we need to learn to trust that subconscious mind, to trust our intuition, to trust our emotional feelings, especially when they're calm, right? You can't trust it when it's all flaring and disturbing and, you know, upset. But when it's calm, there's great wisdom in emotions. Um, to, to trust the subconscious is to trust the process of life, the, the Dharma, the Tao, the flow of it all. And, um, yeah, conscious mind has its role, <laughs> but it, it's, the, it's the point of the experience or the point of awareness. It's the, it's the free will, you know, um, the intention, uh, the volition. That's the conscious mind. It's mostly logical. That's about all that it has, really, is its logic, its reasoning ability, its deductive ability. Um, but creativity and intuition, most of our mental powers are in the subconscious. The seat of our emotions is in the subconscious. The portal to the spiritual self is via the subconscious. Um, and that's the part that dreams. Yeah. That's why dreams are so emotional. And, uh, yeah. So <laughs> I'll, leave, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, in La Habra, Carol. Hello, Carol. Carol Pastel. Hi, Michael. Happy birthday. Hello to Doreen. Yeah, my birthday is tomorrow. Thank you. Uh, this is one of those years where it's real close to Thanksgiving and uh, I haven't thought much about it. In Riverside, uh, Marshall, also in Riverside, thanks for the very interesting and useful insight. I will get on iTunes and get a positive review for the Mystery School. Thank you. Thank you, Marshall. Appreciate that. Have a great birthday in the holiday season and peace. Thank you, Marshall. Aloha. Laurel I. Hatch in Tucson. Aloha, Michael. 
happy thank you, happy thanks for having you to listen to on Sundays. Peace and love to you and Doreen. Thank you, Lorelai. Uh, Phil Jaffe in Kenova Park said he had a great Thanksgiving and says hello to everybody. Uh, Robert Fiegel in Delmar. Aloha, Michael. Great class. Have a magical week. Thank you, Rob. Uh, let me see. Patricia Vega in Los Angeles. Hi, Patricia. He says, hello, aloha. Love this subject. There are a few places that I seem to end up in my dreams from time to time, and sometimes I tell myself to go there when I sleep. Good. Practice that. It's always fun. In Honolulu, Bert's with us this morning. Greetings, Michael. Hiya, Bert. He says, um, is it in some way detrimental to sleep with the radio on? I sometimes wake up in the middle of the night, turn on, uh, talk radio, then doze off listening to it. Warmest regards. Yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't want to overstate any you know concern about this. I don't think it's a real big deal. But uh, and especially as a late night radio guy, <laughs> I should be telling you to listen to the radio when you sleep. But no, the problem is you go through uh, hypersuggestible states when you are dreaming in particular, um, the dreaming levels of alpha and upper theta, uh, when you're experiencing REM activity and having a dream, you're hyper-suggestible. You are, you, uh, this would be good in terms of learning a lesson, uh, but to be exposed to commercials on radio or to be exposed to negative speech of any kind. Like, worry about this, um, and be concerned about that, and be afraid, be very afraid. Uh, that's going to come in with a very strong impact. And so, if you're going to listen to the radio at night to go to sleep, um, and whether it's talk or music or whatever, try to find a non-commercial station if possible. And in any event, use the um, timeout timer if you're going to do that. Set it for 30 minutes or whatever so that after you fall asleep it goes off. And um, same with TV. It, 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 I don't, again, I don't want to overstate it, but I think it really can be stressful. In L.A., Virginia says, dreams have been a very important part of my life. About eight years ago, I was having really awful nightmares that led to a major emotional meltdown. And I didn't know much about dreams or spirituality then, so I was rather terrified by my dreams. And some of the events in my dreams at the time became reality. So my question is, could those have been precognitive dreams? Did I consciously create the negative event in my life because I kept replaying the dream in my mind, attracting them as a reality? Hope this makes sense. Yeah, uh, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, it makes sense, and both things are true. That's what makes this so difficult. Could the dreams have been precognitive? Yes. In other words... Uh, they didn't happen because you dreamed them. You dreamed them because they were in the future 
manifesting, waiting to happen, and you had a legitimate precognitive sense that it was going to happen. On the other hand, can it be self-fulfilling? Could it be that obsessing on the dream, worrying about the dream, uh, magnetized it and tend to bring it about? Yeah, exactly. Well, which is it? Well, how about both? When you begin to explore the magnetic nature of consciousness and the idea that thoughts and feelings and and, and circumstances events, relationships, opportunities, all have a magnetic quality to them, then as you attract an event or a circumstance or a relationship, it's attracting you. It's a mutual attraction. It's cause and effect get sort of uh, blurred. There really is no beginning and end to it. It's a magnetic field. This is the nature of love itself, which people largely continue to see as a commodity that is passed around. Uh, Hey, I will love you if you love me. Give me some love, I will give you some love. Do this for me, I'll do that for you. That will prove that I am receiving your love and exchanging it for my love as if you're, you know, bartering for uh, a, a bushel of apples or something. And love is not a commodity. It, it doesn't have a cause and effect, a beginning and an end. It's not passed around. It's not here one minute and not there, and then later there but not here. It's magnetic. It's everywhere equally present. Well, reality is like that. All events, all possibilities are everywhere equally present. What do we magnetize? What are we attracted to? Sorting out the cause and effect in all of that is difficult. So the the idea is just to stay positive, right? This is the, the Noble Eightfold Path of right action and right thought. Do your best to keep your mind pure. It's a challenge. You'll fail repeatedly. <laughs> Everybody does. Your, 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 your thoughts will go in a variety of places. The idea is to catch yourself and then to bring yourself back to right thought and um, right thinking, uh, right feeling, right action. Um, put your attention on what would Jesus do? What would Buddha do? Uh, if I could do this over again, how would I handle it better? What have I learned? What is important for me to remember next time? What will I now see coming a mile away and hopefully be able to anticipate? And it requires that you forgive yourself again and again and again. Okay, because... The whole point of life is, as spiritual beings that have known no fear, to come into a a world where everything is separated, and it's scary as hell. So our job is to be agents to transform that fear into love. Well, how do you do that? 
with understanding. Because fear is always ignorance and love is always understanding. So to, to, to bring light into the darkness, to understand what had confused you and been frightening and, and, and that you didn't understand before, to bring understanding to that is to redeem it. That uplifts it. That saves it. Now it's a worthy thing. That's who we are. We are. Imagine. Imagine. That's what the ageless wisdom says we are. We are these magicians. We are these these souls. And we need to become aware of ourselves as soul-infused personalities. Not just some ego that's fighting for its right to be separate and alone, and lonely, and right. Okay? But the person that's always working toward harmony doesn't mean we all agree, don't need to agree, wouldn't want to agree. We have redundancy if there's too much agreement. God forbid everybody agreeing, it would be a horrible thing. But we can have harmony, right? Like you can play the clarinet, and I'll play the trumpet, you play the trombone. And then we'll play different parts. You play the dee-dee-dee-dees over here, and you <laughs> you play the long to, and and you play the 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 tonic note of the chord, and you play the third, and you play the fifth, and now we're going to go to a minor key, and so you flat that third, and we work together to make not discordant, but harmonious music to find the harmony. That's the middle way between unity and diversity between the one and the many is harmony you see between all things being one which is spiritual truth and all things being separate which is the truth of physical dense that's an illusion but that's the playing field that's where we come to learn as agents of transformation and transmutation to redeem not just our souls in this way but every condition in the world that needs redeeming, every injustice, we have to redeem war. Not okay just to work to go to heaven and leave war on earth. That's not right. Your job is to bring the, bring heaven to earth, to thy kingdom come, right? Bring heaven to earth. Be more concerned with getting those frequencies down here than getting your butt out of here to some safe haven called heaven. Seems seems people people say that thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's the only prayer Jesus ever taught. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And yet, complete space out, totally forget about it. I just got my ticket. I got my salvation. I got I got my free pass to go to the head of the class. The hell with you people. You can just rot. Well, that's that's not the wisdom tradition anyway. That may be religion, but that's not the wisdom tradition. So, all right, let's um, let me hit refresh here and see if anybody else has come on board. Yeah, we've got um, Greg in Simi Valley. Just wanted to say hello. Thank you, Greg. Nice to hear from you. Uh, Martin Bailey in Cape Canaveral, Florida. Thank you. Nice discussion. I believe that's right. Martin or Martine, Cape Canaveral. Cool. 
Thank you. Nice to hear from you. And uh, James Davis in Compton says, sometimes my dreams take me where I really don't want to go. Do I hurt myself by ignoring them? Oh, I don't know. Do you hurt yourself by ignoring them, James? I, I got a feeling that if um, you were ignoring something important in a dream, that, um, again, the higher self that each of us is truly through the subconscious would repeat the dream. It's uh, You continue to ignore it, it'll find some opportunity in your waking life to present itself. This is where the dreams come true, as Virginia was saying. If it's all that important, uh, it'll manifest sooner or later. You'll get the message. You might be delaying or putting something off, but um, that that's, that's really for you to determine. So uh, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, how can I say safety catches? The universe is full of integrity, right? It's not gonna, you're not going to miss any opportunity. We could forestall it and delay it, but if it's important to your development and, and part of your karma, how about if we say it that way? Your destiny, your fate, uh, it'll come around again, and probably um, in a new and improved version, <laughs> probably a little louder uh, each time. Let's go to the telephones. If you want to raise your hand, uh, press star 2, and uh, we'll unmute you and bring you on. <clears throat> In West Los Angeles, we have Robert. Hi, Robert. Hey, aloha, Michael. Aloha. Welcome to the Mystery School. Hey, thank you. Glad you're up and around. Uh, of course, you were up and around last week, but it's uh, good to hear you back and rocking the mic, so to speak. <laughs> thank you. I feel good. Hey, uh, could I uh, throw in a couple of two or three cents here real quick? Sure. Uh, since it's come up a couple of times um, regarding dreams, which is my, my life path, uh, I thought it might be useful to say the following. Uh, to the first caller, I believe it was Richard, who asked if um, if the the mindfulness being more mindful during the waking state would have the effect of uh, where he would see it mirrored in his dreams as, as things being worked out more effectively and more consistently. And he answered yes, and that is true. Even It's even, to put a finer point on it, um, to the extent that you are mindful, you eventually eliminate dreaming altogether. Um, if you liken mindfulness to chewing through your experience fully in the moment, then there is nothing that your subliminal centers need process beyond that point. It's done, and you're done with it in the moment. And this is the objective, because to have to deal again and again and again, with the effect of not having dealt with it in the first place, yes, we will get through it. But as you said a moment ago, in reference to another caller's question, we are delaying something, sometimes radically delaying it. Um, which brings me to the other point. Since nightmares have come up a few times here in this discussion, uh, and the last... Uh, person asked about uh, 
if he was harming himself, if he either ignored a dream or forgot about a dream or didn't pay attention to a dream or didn't get the message, um, no, not harming, but uh, the word that I would use for, because you said it really nicely, you said you might get a, ultimately you might get a louder message. (laughs) Well, that's the nightmare. (laughs) The nightmare, the high energy dream and also recurrent dreams. You mentioned that you might get the dream again. Yes, this is why we have recurrent dreams in the first place. The universe always, you talk about the catches and the safety mechanisms and the checks and balances, always works from subtle to dense. We always get the message in a very subtle form in the beginning. If we ignore it, reject it, or just not conscious, we will get a denser message. Eventually, the messages will show up in extreme density, usually because in the form of disease, unfortunately. People manifest um, disease process. Most of it is really the result of being totally out of touch with the emotional self. And this is why people have nightmares in the first place. A nightmare is simply a, a message another dimension of yourself that is trying to awaken you to something that you are just not paying attention to, that really needs some paying attention to at that point. The nightmares really don't cause emotional breakdowns. The nightmares are reflecting the fact that we are already so out of touch with a dimension of ourselves that is breaking down. And we need to tend to it. So you may have said it, I didn't hear, but they're all the dreams are always serving us. They're never uh, yeah, the, they're the whole never, idea I'm sorry, go ahead. Well they're never a detriment. Go ahead. Yeah, the universe doesn't punish you. Yeah, it's never about punishment or an oboe daddy or the boogeyman's <laughs> coming to get me or or in the old days, unfortunately in the in the early days of psychiatric practice, people who, who you know, had nightmares and, and you know, where these things would sort of you know, transpose themselves on their waking life were thought to be nuts. No, no. They're trying to keep you from being nuts is the whole idea. This is what we want to work with. Um, yeah, the universe will get a progressively louder voice if you need to pay attention to something. And whether it comes through his dreams or... Somebody may walk up to you on the street. <laughs> you never really know how it's going to present itself. But there's no escaping what we need to learn. I guess what we're talking about in being mindful is making that process a little more graceful, a little more elegant, and uh, you know, less painful. Learn the lesson more easily. If you think of it, I like the metaphor of chewing. If you think of if you spend more time at the dinner table chewing your food, you'll spend less time with indigestion later. Yeah. Um, one other thing before we go, I don't. I missed the show. I only caught the last four minutes, so I don't know whether he spoke of it or not. 
but the new age has has had a troublesome relationship with dreaming and why it is that we need to pay attention to dreams and develop dream lucidity. Uh, things really got skewed a couple of days, a couple of, of decades ago, and uh, it's only been some of the, the great psychologists like James Hillman, principal among them, uh, who has reiterated what the Tibetans have reiterated for the last 17,000 years, and that is, should you work with dreams in that way and become lucid, you don't want to try and morph your dreams. Because you're, first of all, you're altering a, you're altering a message that may be of some importance to you. And you can't transpose it into reality. In other words, if you turn a, a rabid dog into a beautiful flower, you can't do that in your waking reality. It's purposeless, pointless. And you're missing the message. The other thing is, is the purpose, if you if you go back to the ancients, in Tibet, Padmasambhava, the second Buddha, overlaid the Dharma onto a tradition called Bun, which was a shamanic tradition that goes back forever almost. And in that tradition, there were some highly developed techniques for dream lucidity and working with dreams. The purpose, the ultimate purpose meaning, being to gain consciousness in that state so that you are awake for those moments when the doorways open between dreams because that's the essential self and that's what you're trying to connect with and get in touch with and get familiar with and recognize during your lifetime. Just had to put that out there. Yeah, doesn't uh, Castaneda talk about or Don Juan talk about the dream within the dream. The dream within the dream and, and the many layers of dreaming and the many levels of dreaming. Um, you know, they're, they're, he likened them to energetic levels and each each layer had its own rules and, you know, <clears throat> what we might call the rules of physical reality became more and more morphed. But in the end, it's all about communication from another place. You know, if you if you were to if if we if we can liken it to God speaking to us in the night, well, the universal language is symbol. There's a million different languages and dialects on the planet, but a God would speak to us in a universal language that anybody understood, and that's that's really what dreams are. They're 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 emotional. Their emotions, as imagery, really, feeling as imagery, um, because that's what any person. It, it doesn't matter what language they speak. Yeah, there are, there are few alternatives. There's music. When it comes to international languages, there's um, and isn't you know, it isn't it interesting that you bring that up and that music is one of the chief movers of our emotions in the yeah, first place? Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's all connected: dreams, music, emotion, feeling, vibration, um, color. It's uh, yeah, it, it's all linked, I believe. Yeah, well, it's all vibrational. 
It's all vibration, and uh, it does move us. Um, the importance of music in my life has grown um, by quantum amounts. Just understanding, even using music to teach mindfulness, I will, if I have a person that's particularly obsessed on their thoughts, I will sometimes play music for them, classical music, anything without lyrics, classical right. music, right? Uh, so they're not thinking about the lyrics. And I'll play four or five minutes of something, and I'll say, what were you thinking about? And often as not, these people will tell you what they were thinking about. And I said, then you didn't listen to the music. And there's this long pause, and they go, well, and I said, well, I asked you to listen to the music, and then you told me what you were thinking about, so you couldn't do both, could you? And they go, well, I don't know, let me try again. So, so you know, the experience of listening to the music requires that you suspend that inner dialogue. It requires that you suspend that inner dialogue, and also, since you're, you know, you play the guitar. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's something about using an instrument like a guitar that brings both halves of the brain together and function. Oh. Because you're using your left and your right, you're using your left hand to fret if you're a righty, right? Yeah, yeah. So you're using your right brain fully. But you're also strumming along. You're doing two different operations, and you have to link. What happens is, over time, is that the brain links better and better, and the communication between both halves of your brain get better. But this is why so many musicians, not all, but because some have very tragic paths, but that's another story. But many musicians are, in essence, very whole, because what they're doing all day long is unifying the halves of their brain, yeah, nice. constantly functioning together. Nice. But anyway, that, you could talk about that for hours. That's a whole other discussion. Anyway, uh, even tuning a guitar requires that. I yeah, I, I, that's that's where that's as far as my level of mastery goes. <laughs> I, I'm still I'm still trying to figure out how to use the electronic tuner just to get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Robert. Hey, take care, Mike. Always Aloha. good talking to you. Aloha. Robert's in West Los Angeles, and uh, we have quite a few other callers, but I don't see any hands. So um, it's already um, 38 minutes after the hour, so let's do a quick little guided imagery exercise here. And uh, then we'll, uh, we'll convene for the day today. Again, I'd love to hear your ideas, your comments, your suggestions for other topics. Uh, we've got about 130 or 140 programs here, and um, I can always go back. I mean, there's no shortage of uh, material here, um, especially if we're you know, just repeating programs or themes every 9 to 12 months. But I still would really like to know what you're interested in. And... I'd love for you to pull from your, you know, your your daily life and affairs and uh, your problems and your heartaches and uh, difficult situations. And um, if you have an idea for a topic, uh, let me know. Just email me uh, at my initials, MB, like Michael Benner, Mary Baker, 
right? MB at theagelesswisdom.com. MB at theagelesswisdom.com and say, hey, why don't you do a mystery school class on this or that or the other thing? Um, and maybe I will. I'd love to hear from you, right? Just to say hi and let me know that you're enjoying the uh, the program. Whether you listen live on Sundays or, or again by podcast, um, the podcast version is always a little different. I, I don't mention this much, and I don't know how many people even realize it, but um, between Sunday when we are live and Tuesday morning, usually it's Tuesday morning when the podcast goes out, uh, I pull this program down and I compress it and normalize it. And I also filter it for the telephone. So we get a little better um, sounding program in the podcast. I, I, I put a little music on the beginning and the end as well. But it's the compression and normalization that raises the low levels and and um, flattens everything out to a consistent level. And... Um, filters the uh, the telephone quality a little bit so makes for a, a little better sounding program so uh, plus podcasts you can save you can archive you can uh, send to your friends and it's nice to have a collection of these programs so consider that iTunes store I recommend uh, it's a free download for a PC and a Mac even if you used iTunes for nothing else but catching pods um, that, that's a great use. You don't have to organize your music by it if you got another system. There are other podcatchers, but the iTunes Store, that's the granddaddy. They invented it. It's their technology. Uh, iPods are 49 bucks now and um, and up. But um, there are other podcast directories, and we're in most of them. So, again, thanks. Uh, those of you who are going to give us a little rating, I appreciate it. Why don't you close your eyes, get nice and comfortable, and uh, begin by taking a nice, slow, deep breath, and I mean slowly inhale. Don't gulp. No gulping. And hold for a moment as you peek, and then exhale slowly through the mouth. Beyond where you'd normally stop, all the way out before taking another nice slow inhalation. Breathing in and breathing out a little more slowly with each cycle. Each time you become more relaxed, feeling safer. You can stretch that breathing out. Inhale more slowly, exhale more slowly, feeling still safer and more relaxed. And after a few deliberate deep breaths, I want you to put your attention on the bottom of your nose and simply watch yourself breathe passively without any interference turning the breathing over to autopilot. You watch your body breathe itself all by itself for a few moments. 
Now, if you did nothing else for 10 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour, but simply watch your body breathe itself, this could be a real valuable meditation. You're using the breath as a metronome, as a point of focus to bring your attention back into the present moment. And your breath is always there. And like everything else, is cycling around an in-breath and an out-breath. The pendulum swings in one direction and then the other. The waves peak and crash upon the shoreline. The water is then drained back into the ocean. Every wave has a peak and a trough, a yin and a yang, a seasonal, cyclic, in-breath and out-breath. And you can become quite awake and alert, very aware of this moment. in its in-breath and its out-breath by just placing your attention gently on the bottom of your nose. I often use it as an induction, however, and spend three or four minutes here before going off into a visualization. And I like to imagine myself in a beautiful nature place. It could be a wilderness or a beautifully tended garden. If I be high in a mountain or deep in some valley, you could be in a savanna, a prairie, a desert, a seashore, or the richest, greenest landscape, open sunny meadows, cool, shady, forested places. Dream it up. Allow it to come to you. Make no effort. Let it come to you. And imagine yourself wandering through this beautiful place. Until you find one particular spot in which to sit. Maybe a grassy spot beneath a shade tree. Maybe in the middle of all of those flowers, right smack dab in that sunny meadow. Feel the gentle warmth of the sun on your face and your arms. Or maybe you choose one of those cool forested places, maybe by a little stream or a lake. You sit upon the earth. And today, in this place, I'd like you to simply review the whole idea of having a little ritual, a ceremony. Maybe maybe it's enough just to call it a technique or a skill. Or unconsciously making the transition from awake to asleep. By first of all, as you approach your bedroom and your bed, leaving your worries behind. 
the middle of the night. There's nobody you're going to call now. Nothing you're going to do about it now. You need this time. You deserve this time. Exalt this sleeping time by checking your worries at the door. Like the cowboys in the Wild West that came into town and had to leave their guns at the sheriff's office till they left town. You check your worries and your fears at the door when you go in and you put a smile on your face as you get in the bed. And set that mental alarm clock. See what time it is. And imagine a clock in your mind's eye reading that same time without moving at all physically. Just imagine reaching it out with your forefinger and turning the minute hand of that clock around and around and around until you reach the time when you wish to wake up. Pull the pin on the back. Yeah, it's an imaginary. You made it up. That's okay. That's all you need to do to instruct the subconscious. Hey, you're going to be alert all the time. You never sleep. You're the subconscious. So when it comes to this time, wake me up naturally and normally as if I'd had eight or more hours of healthy, natural sleep. Then tell yourself, I'm going to wake up feeling great, really rested and refreshed and healthy and strong. And I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I'm thinking about what I'm going to do tomorrow, where I got to go and who I'm going to see. And I'm thinking even now about what I'm going to wear and maybe what I'm going to have for breakfast and how much I love the smell of coffee in the morning. I'm going to pop in that shower and, you know, jump out of bed and pop in the shower feeling great and zippity-doo-dah and go make the best of my day. And if you'd like, you can add a line about remembering and understanding one of your spontaneous dreams just to get you started. You might want to keep a little notebook and a nice pen, something you value, not just a yellow pad and a pencil, but something that's nice, a journal you paid $15 for, you know, a blank pages journal, a, a nice pen maybe you paid $15 for. That's your dream book and your dream pen. Right, You care about it, and in the morning when you wake up, you say to yourself, I'll remember and understand one of my dreams. I don't know, every hour and a half or so I have dreams. I just remember one of those, or a fragment of a dream, and I'll write it down. First thing, before I even go to the john, before I even head for the bathroom, you got to write those dreams down, get them down fast. And often as you begin to write, more of the dream will unfold in your short-term memory. And don't worry about interpreting or understanding the dream. That comes naturally in time. You don't have to study. You don't have to read books. You can, of course. But dreams are so personal and so subjective that if you just flip back in a few weeks over your dream journal, They'll begin to make sense all by themselves. They'll start being very clear to you. A dream that seems so cryptic and mysterious when you first wrote it down in the morning. 
A month later, you're flipping back over it. You look at it in the context of other dreams. and Whoa. That really makes sense. And you use what you've learned about symbolism and allegory and metaphor and literature class, creative writing. Keep it simple. Keep it basic. Subconscious isn't out to trick you or deceive you. It's trying to deliver a message. It's always trying to enlighten you and uplift you and tell you more. Know that it's your partner in this. wants you to understand. It's, it's casting about looking for ways, symbols, feelings, circumstances, colors, uh, action in the dream to teach you something about your waking life and yourself. Just be open to that. And give yourself this rest time. Allow yourself time to rest. It's not a waste of time. It enriches and prolongs your life to allow yourself to get the sleep and the rest that you need, just like exercise and good nutrition and importance of expressing your feelings. Enough sleep is real important. Well, this is a meditation. This is not nap time, so we're going to reorient ourselves to the waking state now. And In a moment, I'm going to ask you to open your eyes wide awake and alert. Bring to mind what you'll see in the room in which you sit as I do that. Tell yourself it'll be easy to remember what you've just practiced, and you can practice tonight when you go to sleep. An easy and fun thing to do. Especially you do it three, four nights in a row, it'll be a habit. Wonderful habit of an ever more elegant and graceful transition from one state of mind to another, from awake to asleep and then back again. Deliberately and mindfully, with a purpose, with a sense that you are an agent of love and that means an agent of understanding. Even superior to knowledge itself is understanding. It's more dynamic. <laughs> Take a nice, slow, deep breath, inhaling. Fill your lungs fully and completely. Hold for just a moment as you peak and as you exhale. Open your eyes now, wide awake and alert. Rested, refreshed, feeling fine. Back in the room. Better than before. Hey, thanks so much for uh, spending the last couple hours with us being here live for the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. We're here every Sunday afternoon, live, 1 o'clock. Um, I haven't looked at the holidays. I don't know if Christmas or New Year's is on a, a Sunday or if we have to uh, cancel for any reason in the future, but uh, we'll check that out. Certainly we'll be here next Sunday and the Sunday after that. And if you can't join us live, remember to get the podcast, either at the iTunes store or any of the major podcast directories. I I find most of the directories, their search engines don't work too well. So even though we're in there, we're often hard to find. That's the magical thing about iTunes. A Apple runs it, and it's just so well done. But, uh, again, that's that's my recommendation for, for podcasts. And there are tens of thousands of podcasts, and they're all free. Let me also say, 
If you really like this program, then let me appeal to you to become a paid subscriber to our premium audio series at FocusedPassion.com. Uh, currently, it's still only $4 a month, three ninety-six a month. It's $0.99 cents a week for a program that is two of us, Steve Snyder and myself, each pulling on 35, 40 years of research in the field. These, we call these compelling conversations. This isn't like a personal development guy like Steve or I alone or Brian Tracy or Tony Robbins just going on. Uh, You've got that in the mystery school class. You've got me here. But Steve and I sit down and together, studio quality, have these conversations where we feed each other back and forth these ideas and take it to a new level. I mean, I, I think the programs are certainly worth $15, $20 each and to subscribe for a buck each is crazy. So it's not a lot of money for you, three ninety six a month, but it, it helps support the Mystery School and our white papers and our e-books and the video conference and the newsletter and all of this stuff. So if you can help out, uh, sign up. Consider giving a six-month subscription as a holiday gift to a friend. It's pretty cool. FocusedPassion.com. And... Whichever website you go to, focuspassion.com or theagelesswisdom.com, click the button for the Maui Retreat and check out what we're doing in February. I sure hope you're planning to be here. We're limited to 25 people, but you're not going to want to miss this intensive. This this is the life changer. All right? This will do it for you. Five days in paradise, in peace, and the awareness that comes out of that then we'll teach you mindfulness. First day, we're going to work on anxieties and stresses. Second day will be a lot of mind science, the law of attraction, how to process emotional hurt, problem-solving, decision-making. And then days three, four, and five, you'll awaken to a whole new dawn, a deliberate life where you live intentionally in the moment and know what to do when you get lost in the past or the future. Watch the magic of the moment unfold and learn to do it without judgment. That's such a big part of this. So much of our lives are wasted and and damaged by the constant judging. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it right? Is it wrong? It's not necessary. It's not necessary at all. It is what it is. Right? That tree is not a good tree or a bad tree, right? This flood is not a good thing or a bad thing. In this circumstance, what somebody said to you is not a right thing or a wrong thing, right? Just learn. And if you do judge, then let it go. Let it flow. <laughs> let it go. We're out of time. I, I got to back out of here. I, uh, again. I want to thank you, and we'll talk to you next week. Hopefully, we'll see you Thursday night in the video conference, too. Be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui.